uh, I too would like to uh, open in, in a word of prayer. So let's pray together and then we'll get going. Amen. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, God, grateful to be here today, and I pray now that uh, your anointing would come. I pray that the words that come from my mouth would be um, spirit-filled. I'd say what you want me to say. And I pray, God, for the people who've gathered and those who are watching online, that you would give them eyes to see what you want to show them and ears to hear what you want to say to them. And I pray all these things in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen, amen. So uh, today, we are continuing our series from the book of Ephesians called With Love Incorruptible. With Love Incorruptible. And I am going to be really real with you all at the outset of this thing and tell you uh, that the sermon is going to start kind of slow today, okay? It is gonna, it's going to start kind of slow, and there's going to be a lot of scripture and I'm asking you all uh, to be patient with me, uh, to do the best that you can, uh, to hang with me, and to trust that I am trying to take you somewhere that matters. Can y'all do that? Yeah, that'd be great. And um, when it's all said and done, when it's over, you can decide whether or not you think it was worth it, okay? And if you had to pay a cover charge to get in, Cody will be in the back, and he'll, if you're not happy, he'll give you your money back, okay, after the service is done. We are going to end uh, the sermon today in the book of Ephesians, but we are going to kick off in the book of Isaiah. So if you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 20. That is Isaiah 59, verses 14 through 20. And what we are about to read here is a messianic prophecy. And when I use those two words together, a messianic prophecy, all, all I'm talking about is a text from the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, that speaks to the coming of the Messiah. It is, as the words say, messianic prophecy, a prophecy about the Messiah's coming. Some 700 years before uh, Jesus came, Isaiah wrote about it. And what we're about to read is one of those prophecies, and this is what he wrote. Starting in verse 14, verse 14 through 20 says, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the rest and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he'll come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives, and a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Now here in this text, 
Uh, we're reading about a time in Israel's history when they had departed from God. They turned their backs on him. They had departed from his ways. And the Bible says that God looks down from heaven and he is looking for a person who might be able to save them. He's looking for someone who might intercede on behalf of humanity, but he finds no one. All he sees is injustice. And so, according to the text, God decides he'll take care of it himself. By his own hand, he will be our rescuer. I think the word, that, the language the text uses, it says he would use his own arm to bring about salvation. And so then the text speaks of a coming rescuer, a coming Messiah, the one who would come to redeem Zion. Now, this is uh, audience participation portion of the service, okay? According to verse 17, what are the first two things that we're told that the Messiah will wear? What are the first two kinds of clothes it says he's going to have on when he comes, the rescuer comes? What does it say? One, it says he's going to have on a breastplate of righteousness. That's the first thing. And then what's the second thing it says? He's going to have a helmet of salvation covering his head. Now, it might be a good idea for the sake of the sermon if you'd make note of those two things, if you're a note-taking kind of person, okay? Now, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Just flip over a bunch of chapters. Isaiah 11. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. Again, we're reading a Messianic prophecy. It's an Old Testament prophecy pre-Jesus that speaks to the coming Christ. Again, it's Isaiah speaking. And this is a writing, and this is what he says. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here again. Isaiah prophesies about Jesus coming, and we're told a couple of things in the text. We're told that the Messiah is going to come from the stump of, uh, the stump of Jesse, ultimately from the lineage of King David, which he did. And we're also told that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him and that he would be a righteous judge for all of humanity, which, of course, Jesus was and certainly still is. And then again, audience participation in verse 5 of the text, what does it say the Messiah will be wearing? What does it say? It says he'll be wearing righteousness as a belt around his waist and faithfulness as a belt around his loins. Now, the Hebrew word there that gets translated to the English word faithfulness is the word emuna, E-M-U-N-A, emuna, emuna. Five other times in the Old Testament, that word gets translated to the word truth. So emuna can mean faithfulness. It can mean truth. And so what he is saying here, Isaiah, is that when the Messiah comes, he is going to be wearing a belt of righteousness, a belt of faithfulness, ultimately a belt of truth. 
Now turn with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91, y'all having fun yet? This is good. Psalm 91, amen, I'm having fun. Psalm 91, Psalm 91 verses 1 through 6, this is what the text reads. This is David, David again, messianic prophecy, prophesying about Jesus coming. These are the words that he wrote. This is Psalm 91 verse 1 through 6. This is what he said. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. David speaks here in this messianic prophecy, in this psalm. He talks about somebody who's hurting, probably talking about himself. And he says, if you're in pain, if you're in trouble, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to go and stand behind Jesus. You need to find yourself in the shadow of his wings because there you're safe, there you'll be protected. Why? Because as verse four says, his faithfulness is like a shield and a buckler. A buckler is just another name for a small shield. So I think what David's trying to tell us there in Psalm 91 is that Jesus' faithfulness will be like a shield. Again, maybe make note of that. We've talked now about at least four or five pieces of, uh, of what Jesus is, is wearing. Now, uh, for the two of you people who are still with me, let's do one more, okay? If you're, hey, if you're with me online, put a heart or a thumb, black thumbs up right there in the comment section or something. Let me know you're following along. This is Isaiah 49. Last one of these we're going to do. Isaiah chapter 49, and we're only going to look at two verses. Isaiah 49, and this is what it says. This time, instead of just a messianic prophecy, we're actually getting to hear like from the voice of Jesus. Like before he came, uh, Isaiah changes tone, changes character, and now we have the Messiah speaking before he makes his entrance. And this is what the how the text reads. First two verses, Isaiah 49 says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. So here in Isaiah, even before Jesus came, we have him saying a couple of really important things about his coming. First, he says, hey, when, when the Messiah comes, when I come, the call of the Lord will have already been on my life before I even enter my mom's womb. Like the call of the Lord will be on me that quick. And then he takes it a step further and he's like, and while I'm still in my mom's womb, I'm going to be named. I'm going to already have a name, which we know happened. I mean, while Mary is pregnant with Jesus, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, hey, your betrothed is going to have a child and you're going to name him Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel means God with us. Now, according to Isaiah 49, verse 2 what does it say the Messiah will have coming out of his mouth? It says a sword. Actual language it uses is he made my mouth like a sharp sword. 
I believe it's saying that because ultimately when Jesus does come and the words he says, they are piercing and they are true and they're powerful. So let's just recap for a moment the Messiah's attire. What I'm trying to get us to do here is just have a little Jesus fashion show, okay? According to these prophecies, what are the things that we're told that the Messiah is going to wear, that Jesus is going to have on? Well, he's going to have righteousness as a breastplate. He's going to have salvation for a helmet on his head. He's going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. Faithfulness will be his shield, and he will be wearing a belt of righteousness, faithfulness, or truth. Now, we know that 2,000 years uh, ago, Jesus did come, and at least metaphorically speaking, he was wearing these things. And we know that in every way, he achieved victory over evil. I mean, his enemies, they tried to accuse him of every form of wrongdoing. And yet, wearing that breastplate of righteousness to cover his heart, he was able to remain pure and sinless. His enemies, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, constantly, everything Jesus did, they're shooting flaming arrows at him. And he just holds up the shield of faith that he carries to block their arrows. And we know he, Jesus even had an encounter with Satan in the wilderness. Forty days and forty nights, Satan came to him and tempted him and Jesus responded to Satan with the word of God, the words of his mouth coming out like a piercing sword to pierce Satan and to combat his lies. You'll remember Jesus even said to Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had all these things and he used them. He had the breastplate. He had the helmet. He had the sword. He had the shield and he had the belt. Now turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians 6, and this will be the last text that we're going to look at today, okay? Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't do your devotions this past week, you missed four days, we've caught up. You're even now. You can start over tomorrow. I used to, the reason I make that joke, okay, when I was the best Sunday school teacher I ever had growing up was this sweet lady named Gertrude Wood. And she was amazing. I mean, she knew the Bible, and she was kind and compassionate, even with a rowdy group of boys, right? But every Sunday, she would give some kind of candy if you, if you read your Bible every day, seven days, she would, she'd have some kind of candy or something. It wasn't even good candy, you know, but it was some kind of candy. And, um, but she had this thing because she was such a nice lady. She had this thing to where if you missed a day, you could read two verses or two passages the next day to catch up. And so young, sugar-loving Brock, what I would do on my way to church on Sunday morning is I would read seven passages of Scripture to catch up. And I, I tell you that today as a form of repentance, right? I mean, I think I need to think she's long gone. I can't apologize to her. Um, but that's what I would do. And so you're, you're caught up. Start new, new mercies. Uh, the, the mercies of God be fresh in, in the morning. Now we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. This will be the last text that we look at. And I'm really hoping that some of you, especially if you're in um, like uh, Randy and Tommy's small group, I'm kind of hoping that you're catching on to where I'm going with this, okay? Because y'all have been in uh, Ephesians the last few weeks, I know, even studying some of this stuff. But I hope in your mind you're connecting some dots, like going, okay, why would we be in Isaiah? Well, I'm about to show you why. Uh, let me remind you here before we look at this text that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a brilliant Old Testament scholar. 
I mean, brilliant. He knew the Hebrew scriptures like the back of his hand. And everything that he wrote, everything he said, he, he said with intention, with purpose, he placed it there intentionally. And so when we read Ephesians chapter 6, the end of his letter to the church at Ephesus, we are reading his brilliance. We are seeing it, uh, you know, brought, brought forth. This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Let me also remind you, we are now in the New Testament. So up to this point, we've been reading pre-Jesus Old Testament text. Now this text is post-Jesus. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, this is what Paul wrote. He said this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, hopefully, in that moment, you saw where I'm trying to get to, right? Hopefully you're able to connect a few dots there. I mean, the armor that Paul mentions here in Ephesians, it should sound pretty familiar to you by now. Uh, Paul opens these verses by saying, look, uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against, uh, it's against Satan, it's against evil, and it's against all of these dark forces. And ultimately, Paul says to his readers, hey, you need to be ready for battle. You, you need to be prepared. I mean, if you're going to war, like if you're going to war in the natural world, you're going to definitely put some things on to protect yourself. Well, in a supernatural battle, you need to do the same thing. You need to make sure that you put on the armor. And what's the armor that Paul mentions here? At least some of them. He says, well, I'll tell you what you need to put on. You need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need to put on helmet of salvation, belt of truth, shield of faith the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. Ultimately, Paul is saying, I'll tell you what kind of armor you need to put on. You need to wear the same kind of armor that the Messiah wore. And why say that? I mean, why would Paul tell us you need to put on the same stuff that the Messiah put on? Here's why. Because it works. He knows that it works. I mean, think about it. Every piece of armor that Paul tells us to put on in Ephesians, including the shoes, that's the only one we didn't look at, but that's Isaiah 52. Jesus wore every piece of that armor and it has been tried and tested and found impenetrable. Nothing's breaking through this stuff. 
The Old Testament prophets said, hey, this is the kind of armor that the Messiah is going to wear. Then Jesus came and he wore that kind of armor. And in his battle with evil, Jesus maintained a perfect record. He has never lost. A lot of people consider Tom Brady to be the GOAT, okay, of football. Brady's uh, NFL record against other NFL foes is, is pretty impressive. It's something like it's around 235 uh, to 70, something like that. But if Tom Brady is the GOAT, Jesus is the lamb, and his record against evil is infinity to zero. All Jesus does is win. Amen. Y'all give me a second here. Deep breath. It's, it's going to be worth the wait, Johnny Ray, I assure you. Man, this hurts my feelings. That's a quote. When they start yelling at each other, it's bad. So right now, what's supposed to be happening is uh, we're supposed to be hearing, uh, all I do is win. <laughs> and I think I ruined it for us because at the outset of this thing, when I prayed that the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me say anything or do anything I wasn't supposed to say or do. <laughs> The spirit just shut it down. It's like, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. Okay, either that or the Blumbergs decided we're not doing that. This place is crazy, but we're not going to do that. In his battle with evil, Jesus maintained perfect record, infinity to zero. I mean, there was the one time that Satan thought that he had won, but then three days passed and there was an appeal, and the previous score got corrected. In the words of my good friend, Ron Rejo, go team Jesus. Yes, sir. So when Paul speaks here about the armor of God, he's talking about hand-me-downs. He's talking about hand-me-downs. How many of y'all wore hand-me-downs when you were a kid? I mean, I did, right? I loved hand-me-down day. If you don't know what a hand-me-down is, it's when your mom has another mom friend who has a kid who may be a couple of years older than you or at the very least is a little bit chunkier than you are, right? And so uh, all of a sudden, just one day, that mom takes a bag of that kid's clothes and just puts them in a trash bag, and this trash bag just shows up at your house, and then you're just a little punk kid, and you get to go through there and just pick through there and figure out what you're going to wear. I mean, it's awesome, right? Uh, like, hand-me-down, that was, that was one of my favorite days, hand-me-down day. But what we are talking about here when we talk about the armor of God is uh, this is, we're talking about hand-me-downs. Like, Jesus already wore this stuff, and it worked, and so now he is passing it on to us. And you get it and you're holding it up and it's like, okay, sure, the shield might have some dings on it, but that's just because it's taken on some arrows. And the breastplate may be covered in sweat and tears and the sword might be stained by the blood of the enemy, but that just means it's been used in battle. Those things that we look at and we see as so-called blemishes, 
They're just reminders of previous victories. These things have won wars before, and they should give us confidence in the war that we'll fight. What I'm trying to say to you, church, in a lot of words is, this armor works. If you put it on, this armor works. But for us to use it for our protection, Paul says we have to put it on. Several times in, in the New Testament, he uses this language. In Romans 13, Colossians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, he says this is what you need to do. It's what he's writing to believers, and he says to them, you need to take off the flesh, and you need to put on the Spirit. You need to take off the flesh, and you need to put on Jesus. And then here in Ephesians 6, I think he actually takes it a step further, and he goes, you need to take off the flesh, and you don't need to just put on Jesus, but you need to put on the things that Jesus put on. You need to wear the things that Jesus wore. So how do we do that? Uh, I got a tailor this week, okay? I've never had a tailor before. I got, I'm cosmopolitan now. <laughs> got my first tailor this week. His name is Caleb, okay? Custom fit alterations on Kingston Pike. That's where this guy's at, and he's awesome. I mean, a big fan. And this is what happened to me, okay? I had to do a wedding last week in Wilmington for a friend of mine. Got to do another wedding uh, a week from now back in Wilmington for another friend of mine, and I needed a new suit. I needed a new black suit. And so a couple of weeks ago, I go to J.C. Penney's, and I'm shopping in the big boy section, and uh, I find, yeah, I don't get a whole lot of hand-me-downs these days, you know what I mean? Not a lot of stuff. Me and Spidey swap shirts sometimes, but you know, there's not, not a lot of hand-me-downs coming my way. But I'm shopping in JCPenney's and I find this black suit that, that just so happens to come from uh, Shaquille O'Neal's suit line for the big boys. And so uh, I pick up this black suit and I take it home. But as it turns out, I mean, I'm big, but I'm not as big as Shaquille O'Neal, you know, so I got to have this suit altered. And so last week I take it to uh, my tailor and, uh, and I go in and the guy, as soon as I get in there, he's awesome. He's like, I'm carrying the suit, man. He's like, put the suit on. So I go in and I change in. I've just got a t-shirt on, but I put like the suit jacket on and the pants on. And then he's, he's like, come out here. So I come out and he puts me up on a stage, like a platform kind of thing. And he comes over there and he stands and he just takes these pins out. And he starts like grabbing my shirt and moving stuff. And he's putting pins everywhere. And he's got this little white chalky marker. And he's just like marking this thing up. And I mean, when I walked into that place, I already had the suit. Like I had purchased the suit myself. But he, it was going to be, it's Caleb's job. I'm actually going Tuesday to pick it up. He is, is adjusting the suit to make it fit me. Like he's working on the suit to make it, fit, to, to, he's shaping it so that it will fit me better. At the end of the book of Ephesians, after Paul says, you need to put on the full armor of God, the very next thing he says, and he says it multiple times, is he says, after you, you need to put on the full armor of God, and then you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to pray for yourselves. You need to pray for me. You need to pray. This is, what, this is why I think he does that. At the cross and by way of the resurrection and at the moment for all of us, everybody in the room who is a saved person, I believe we were given the full armor of God. I think it's part of our heavenly inheritance. That when you became a saved person, Jesus just took it and he handed it down and he's like, here's the breastplate. 
Here's, it's the one I used. Here's the helmet. Here's the sword. Here's the belt. Here's the shield. And at that moment, it's, you took possession of it. It's all yours. You've got it, okay? What I think we have to do after we get it, and this is why I think Paul so clearly says, pray, 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 is because once we take hold, once we possess all those things, I think we are supposed to go spend time with Jesus, and he is our tailor. He takes all of that stuff that was made for him originally because it all belonged to him, and then he takes out the pins, and he takes out the white marker, and he just starts marking everything up. And he makes sure that the suit that was once his becomes your suit and it fits you perfectly. And he, anything that needs to be scrapped away, he cuts off and he scraps it away. Anything that needs to be added on, he adds on. But ultimately, in prayer, all those things that we already have access to, he's taking them and putting on us to make sure that there is no weaknesses in our body. There's nowhere, there's nowhere that the enemy can penetrate uh, an arrow or anything like that can get us. And so... You possess the armor. You just need to go spend time with the tailor. He's given it. He's given it all to you. The bad news, I think, of this text is that according to Paul, we are engaged in a constant and ongoing battle with Satan and with evil. The good news is we already have everything that we need to fend off his attacks. It's already been handed down to us. Not only has it been given to us, Bobby, but it has been tried, it has been tested, and it has been found to be impenetrable. So let me encourage you today to put on the full armor of God, to spend time with the tailor and let him fit you perfectly for that suit of armor that was once his. And when your life comes to an end and the story's said and done, you take that suit of armor and pass it on to future generations so that they can use it to protect themselves. Some might say, when it comes to the armor of God, that Jesus passed it down to us with love, and that is incorruptible. Jesus passed it down to us with love, and this armor we have is incorruptible, and I think that might make a good name for a series. What do you think? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. God, grateful for your word. I pray for the person in the room today who's known the truth for a long time, but who hadn't necessarily applied it. Something tells me there's a lot of people in this place today. There's a lot of armor in people's closets. That's what I believe. There's a lot of people who you've handed this stuff down to, you've passed it along to them, and maybe they wore it for a little while, and it made them a little uncomfortable. They weren't necessarily comfortable with truth or comfortable when it came to the pursuit of righteousness. And so they just put the stuff in the closet. I pray today would be the day that they'd go grab it and put it back on. And give them all some time today to spend time with your, in your presence by way of prayer. I pray that they would... Put, go, go grab the armor that they already possess that you've given them by way of the cross and through the resurrection and that you would tailor it to them. I pray for some proper fits today, some sweet prayers and some proper fits. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.